1: Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling
0: truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash wondery. You're listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. Get caught up on this week's top stories from the Hash Crew. And just a reminder, CoinDesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Monday's top story.
2: Let's take a look at coins. Aptos, remember that network, that base layer that launched in October, right before everything hit the fan, potentially the worst possible mainnet launch of all time. In terms of timing, that is, seems to be back from the dead, showing strong price activity in recent weeks. APT, the native token of the Aptos blockchain, doubling in price amid strong NFT interest, according to Coindesk. That is interesting to see some of these newer base layers potentially find their stride in what looks sort of like an entire market pump a little bit. Bitcoin is up, I think, north of 23,000 last time I checked. NASDAQ composite index is up 2%. And as such, some more obscure layer ones seem to be having some success in the price department at least as well so i wanted to talk about that uh aptos seemingly back from the dead a little bit uh after making a bunch of noise uh at the end of late last year raising a bunch of money creating a new base layer that was uh, ultimately going to serve nft projects and other things similar to what other blockchains in the space have been doing very curious kind of about the all l1 thesis in general here in 2023 Uh, on some strength from Aptos and other tokens that we're seeing now in the market. I'm going to toss this straight to Will for some bigger thoughts, I guess, on the Alt-L1 thesis. Will, do you think we're ever going to see those heady days of Alt-L1s pumping, such as we saw with Solana, Luna, Avalanche, the famous Solana Vax trade from a while ago? Yeah, we'll get to that in a
1: second. First of all, I got to say, I think you might have beaten uh, Wendy's backdrop in terms of who was the coolest backdrop on the show (laughs) these days. That bookcase looking nice. Sorry, Wendy, you got to up it up a little bit. Jen's always in third place, and I'm, of course, in last wow. place perpetually. Wow. So that's what it is.
3: At least you put yourself but, last.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's true. I'm like in a prison cell over here. <laughs> I, need, I need to decorate a little bit. But, you know, I'm 26. That's not my specialty. So let's just forget about it. Uh, let's talk about this whole trade here. Aptos, like you said, Zach, had a terrible launch, like a terrible launch, like marketing, PR. They had so much behind this. They put so much money into it, and it popped immediately. There was a lot of negativity around the token allocation to the foundation. I think about a billion tokens were allocated totally for the entire token ecosystem and half went to the foundation. It's a lot of money just to foundation. They pushed back against that saying in comparison to other token projects, the percentage was actually quite fair. You know, take your own piece on that. That's always going to be an argument if you're going to do some sort of pre-mine. But in terms of like the timing, also terrible right before FTX, we know that a lot of these teams actually had some connections with Alameda Research and FTX. Uh, Aptos and Sui were basically two competing brands coming out at the same time, end of a bull market, really in the middle of a bear market at that point. And it's a hard time to launch a layer one network. We have seen that work in the past. Avalanche, Solana, uh, Luna, a lot of these tokens were launched during the last bear market. And they, they, they did well during the bull market. They did do well but they also sort of crashed afterwards, right? There wasn't any sustainability like we've seen with Ethereum, which really has gone to its next set of legs and carried pretty well if you look at its price. Here for Aptos, I saw a storyline, and my first thought was actually pretty bearish. I was like, it might be up right now, but we do see this happen quite a bit during bear markets where a random no-name layer one project that most people have forgotten about randomly pumps you know, 50%, 100%. But to be fair, if you're looking at this, it's actually beaten its all-time high since October. So maybe it's finding some legs in the middle of this bear market, along with a lot of other tokens. Wendy, i to throw this one up to you, though.
0: There's kind of a lot to unpack with this. So I believe that the guys that kind of started this were ex-Google employees or affiliated with Google. Said, and you know, they were
2: ex-Facebook. They were involved in mm-hmm. Libra, later DM, and they brought the Move programming language with them. So it's Facebook, not Google.
0: See? You. Fancy smancy guys. Okay. So you. also, t- you know, I needed to know, I needed to be fact checked. So thank you for correcting me. So when Aptos first launched, I remember how rough it was because it was literally like in the middle of the crypto contagion. It was probably a terrible time to launch, but at the same time, is there ever really a good time to launch a crypto project? I mean, unless you're like straight in the bull market, but just like when you are ready to have kids, is it ever a good time to have kids?
2: Never. I don't Zach?
0: Know. Someone, you know, you can never...
2: You can't ever <laughs> kind of tell yeah. time throwing a grenade we'll leave into your parents life. On the it, show. Just, it just happens. You <laughs> just out. don't it's know. Yeah.
0: But again, you guys, like, I feel like like, Solana, I'm actually surprised that it's still doing well. And I think we're going to find out more information in regards to the how many ties Alameda actually had to it throughout the court case, which is going to take probably forever. But again, I like to see layer ones kind of compete. We need layer ones. We need this positive competition. I think it's important for the entire crypto ecosystem, especially with NFTs. NFTs are not going anywhere anytime soon. We're going to see them continue to build and grow. We need projects like this that can kind of help facilitate it. I personally think the reason why Ethereum has done so well is because the ecosystem has been so built out. And if Ethereum fails, then basically every other single altcoin or a lot of these NFT projects are going to fail too. So Ethereum cannot fail. Like it literally can't fail. Or we're going to have like, a bunch of terrible things happen in the industry. However, I still do think we're in a bear market. I still do think that this is, you know, not a necessarily sustainable. Pump with anything. And if you're somebody that's like aping into this stuff, investing, dollar cost averaging, please have an entry and exit plan. I just, it, it just makes me uneasy to see how many people are just jumping into stuff and they're like, oh yay, we're buying green candles, we're up, we're making money, and then the thing ends up dumping later on because the rest of the market dumps, and then they lose all of their money. So I think it's good. I like layer ones. I love the competition. Love to see it. Love the ties that they have. But at the same time, I do think it's pretty centralized. But does that matter in crypto these days? Jen?
3: Yeah, I know. I remember back in October when we talked about this story. And Wendy, you asked, is there a good time to launch a crypto project? It seemed like this was a good time. A bunch of former Meta employees, I think that they had raised $150 million on a $4 billion valuation. It felt like this was going to be you know, a huge thing. And then it wasn't. They promised these really speedy transactions. I think on launch day, we were all coming down on them because it was reporting that, you know, they were only allowing four transactions per second to go through. And then I read this story and, you know, I really focused on the NFT angle. I love to see NFT projects flourishing. I read this morning that AptoPunks is up over 2000%, which is like the Aptos version of CryptoPunks. And then there was another project up over 3,000%. This really reminded me of when Solana was pumping and we saw all these Solana NFT projects, you know, like flying through the sky and now look at where Solana is. And so for me, I just watch this. I watch this layer one and I think, you know, who are going to be the layer ones we watch for NFTs in the next bull market? And if we've learned anything from Solana, it could be anyone. My money's on Polygon, to be honest, but Zach, I saw your hand go up.
2: Yeah, I mean, these are all green fields, right? And I think it's interesting <laughs> to see projects start to sprout up on these various pipes that undergird these various communities. So the fact that Aptos is seeing some interest, it's interesting. We'll watch it develop over time.
0: Tuesday's top story.
2: We're to start off with Wendy. What's up?
0: <sighs> you guys remember when the Do? I think it was the DOJ when they came out and they wanted to like tell us we're getting this crypto regulation. It was urgent. It was like, oh my god. Well this is the story right here. And apparently Binance is kind of related. But before you guys say anything, hold on. Binance processed nearly $346 million worth of Bitcoin trades for Bits Latto, which kind of sounds like a Starbucks coffee. Starbucks, please sponsor the show. Um, but it is in fact a crypto exchange. The founder was arrested in Miami last week for allegedly operating an unlicensed exchange business that processed 700 million in illicit funds, And Binance was named one of BitLazzo's top three counterparties by the amount of Bitcoin received between May 2018 and September 2022. They were one of the only major exchanges. Before I pass it off to anybody else, I want to first remind you guys, before we jump to conclusions here, Binance is one of the largest crypto exchanges in the world. So it does make sense that they would be involved with this. Probably they had no idea, but at the same time, stuff does happen, especially in crypto and traditional finance as well. So I don't think Binance was really doing anything bad. I think they just got caught up in the mix because they are one of the largest crypto exchanges in the world. Jen, I would love to get your take on this.
3: I think we can say as much as we want on this show that Binance probably didn't know, but authorities and regulators are going to look at this story differently. So Bitflato's founder was allegedly running a money laundering engine. That's what authorities are saying. And if we just listen. To how regulators, how authorities have been speaking about crypto. If they can tie Binance to this alleged money laundering scheme, I think they will. I think given the state of the industry, what's happened with FTX and some other centralized exchanges due to contagion, I don't think this is a good look for Binance. Although Wendy, I kind of agree with you. Like maybe they didn't do anything wrong, but I think that regulators are going to say, why were the right checks and balances not in place? How did you not know? That this upwards of three hundred million dollars was being used in some kind of money laundering scheme, and so I don't think this is good for Binance. Will, what do you think?
1: Well, I think we gotta hold on a little bit here. Binance is an international company. Binance U.S. is the only exchange from Binance that is serving in the U.S. and serving U.S. clients. So, to me, right now, I'm so wondering if U.S. regulators are really going to care about this story as much. Obviously, they did push against Bislato and had some enforcement action against them because of their role in money laundering and. We've seen that there's been a lot of enforcement actions against cryptocurrency companies uh, in the Russian area because of the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. But it's not quite clear yet if there's going to be some tie between Binance, U.S. regulators, and BitSlotto. Maybe, maybe U.S. regulators go so far as to say that they're going to censor uh, Binance because of its ties to BitSlotto. But that seems unlikely given Binance's place within the ecosystem and the fact that Binance, as of right now, does not service US customers. The only way they're going to service US customers is if those customers are abroad somehow and able to get through ID verification. I mean, I've been on Binance before and then I was booted off the exchange when they implemented KYC laws for US customers. So I think there's a few things that we have to uh, know about there. The one thing I want to bring up, however, is the Wazir X story from a few weeks ago. If you remember that story, guys, there was like this confusion about, where x's uh, finances were. Were they on top of Binance? Were they not on top of Binance? There was some ruffled feathers between the two CEOs of Binance and X. And we came out to find out that Wazirx actually was using Binance for a lot of its trading. Like A lot of its assets were on top of Binance. And as you remember, that makes sense because Binance is going to give you the best price execution. So it's odd to see like, a lot of smaller exchanges actually running on top of Binance's software and using Binance's whole exchange infrastructure for itself. So I think there could be more cases of this, and this is just something that Binance has to be aware of. They're going to be servicing other exchanges as part of its business end. Well, you might come across some people who are acting in bad faith or in bad jurisdictions, and that is a threat to Binance itself. Zach, I'm gonna throw it up to you.
2: Binance is a big target on its back. It's the big fish out there for regulators worldwide. Remember, before SBF was sort of outed as a alleged fraud, the consensus among Washington, D.C. thinkfluencers was that, you know, CZ was sort of the evil, like Jedi crypto founder. SBF was like the good crypto founder, right? And I think there is that lingering distrust, especially within US regulatory circles about Binance, whether this was something that they did with knowledge or simply without knowledge because they can process it without their consent or something. That doesn't matter. What this story tells me is that the big prize out there is Binance. The people who sort of see Binance as an enabler of scams, as an enabler of money laundering, there's plenty of sentiment, I think, especially within the regulatory ranks that is out there to this day. So I think when we saw sort of the grandiose statement about BitLotso, I think keen observers were sort of saying, I think they're piecing together a case potentially against Binance or some other big major factor in the industry, right? Could potentially be what's at play here as we start to see dribs and drabs of this story come out as it relates to the Bits Lotto case. So I think that to me is the story, big target on its back. CZ, he's the biggest thing out there right now. And I think, not everybody, but some folks are seeking to claw him down with accusations such as this. I don't know, Wendy, what do you think?
0: Accusations, accusations, accusations. They just need to leave Binance alone. Binance literally is not even like <laughs> legally allowed to operate in the United States of America, but yet FinCEN is mad at them. Like Binance is caught up in this whole thing. It's becoming ridiculous at this point. Like. I just not understanding why we're focusing on things that are not even in our jurisdiction when in fact we should be focusing on things that are in our jurisdiction and actually like help retail. I don't know, maybe I'm just a crazy person. Jen. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Wendy, why are you surprised that regulators aren't focusing on things within their jurisdiction? We've been here for a long time. That shouldn't be that surprising right now. But I do want to add that a Binance spokesperson, it was mentioned in the story, said that they provided substantial assistance in this case to authorities as they were investigating. But if this turned out bad for Binance, I just want to say it wouldn't be the first time we saw an exchange working with regulators, trying to do the best thing, trying to put their best foot forward, and then regulators turning on them. That is obviously just speculation. But Zach, I think I saw your hand go up.
2: I was just going to say, historically, Binance has played fast and loose with jurisdictional issues. So maybe the suspicion is merited in some cases, but I'll toss it down to Will. Yeah, before we move on to the next story, I do want to bring
1: up the one precedent we actually have for this story. And it's for the US exchange Kraken, which back in November was a slap with a fine for actually only around six figures uh, for its role in processing uh, transfers and transactions in Iran. So like, we do have precedent for this. Kraken is a US-based exchange, however, and they got a, like basically a slap on the wrist. It wasn't much. So I don't know if much is going to come about this.
0: Wednesday's top story.
2: We have a very wintry mix of crypto stories out here today, starting with some layoff news from Will. What do you got?
1: That's right. Global crypto exchange Luno is laying off about 35% of its staff, part of Barry Silbert's DCG Empire. Luno has offices in Singapore, London, and elsewhere around the globe. This is pretty bad news, Uh, just adding more to the the layoff story that we've been covering for quite a while. There's been about 29,000 layoffs, according to Coindesk's own numbers, since the beginning of the crypto bear market earlier last year. So just more numbers. In terms of headcount, the number seems to be a bit all over the place. Uh, Some numbers showing that Luno has about 900 employees and now trimming about 300 staff. Others showing there's about 600 employees and trimming down about 200 staff. So we don't quite know for sure, but 35% is a pretty wide margin. Luno has about 10 million different users around the globe, and they service different crypto assets via its exchange product. Of course, this is just part of DCG's empire. They uh, also own Coindesk, Genesis, Foundry, and a few other firms such as Grayscale. Zach, I want to throw the story over to you. More bad news uh, to begin the week.
2: Yeah, for sure, man. This is the story about Seafly, despite you know some pumping token prices and maybe some excitement, maybe a bit of macro tailwinds still CFI is trimming headcount quite significantly. So I think there's the secular issue here, right? We saw that graphic with all the exchanges that are laying off significant chunks of their workforce. And then there's the specifics as it relates to DCG, which is in hot water a relative to Genesis filing for bankruptcy last week, and potentially some of those dominoes falling and spilling over into some of their other assets. So Luna here is sort of pinched by both those factors. And as a result, you're seeing significant job cuts announced by this exchange. So that to me is where Luno finds itself. It's pretty bleak and it adds to that really big number, 29, maybe 30,000 crypto jobs cut since April that CoinDesk is doing a good job keeping a running tally on. So really just a staggering, staggering number of jobs lost during this crypto crisis. Wendy, I'm going to toss it to you for your thoughts. And I don't know, what's your experience with Luno? What are you thinking here?
0: I don't think I've ever heard of them. Is that terrible?
2: No, is that's it? not terrible. There's a lot I don't of exchanges know ever-
0: out there. I don't <laughs> are they U.S.-based exchange? They're
1: global. They're global. So they have offices, yeah. South Africa, London, Malaysia, okay. all over the place. Okay, maybe that's why.
0: This is common. We're in a crypto bear market. Everybody thinks we're back, baby. We're back, baby, because we're currently trading above $20,000 um, in regards to Bitcoin. I don't think we're back. I think this is just a bear market relief. I've talked about it a bunch of times on my show. I've talked about it here. But it does make sense that people are scaling back, not only because of it's a crypto bear market, but in fact, we're seeing a lot of global turmoil happen economically. This makes sense to me. And it's sad to see. I'm sad for everybody that's losing their jobs in crypto, in the tech industry and all across the world. And hopefully, you know, these exchanges or these crypto companies make better choices during the next bull run and don't spend as much money. Again, I really don't know a whole lot about this exchange, but it's just sad to see people in our industry go away.
1: Yeah. yeah. I kept wanting to say Luna during the intro there because the name very similar, but I think it's a good moment just to go back and like reflect on what's been happening here, and that it all started with the Terra Luna debacle, basically one year ago, as uh, when Terra Luna was really pumping. A lot of teams were pumping that token, pumping a Terra, pumping the fact that they had all this huge Bitcoin allocation. But at the end of the day, it collapsed. Right, they had 10 billion Bitcoin backing their whole stablecoin regime. It collapsed and it brought down a lot of different firms, including Three Arrows of Capital which 3AC, now just notorious at one point, one of the most famous hedge funds within the space. But 3AC collapsing caused a lot of different firms to then implode themselves, right? And so that is cascading into now where we see the average Joe or the person at a crypto company is losing their job. And so it's crazy to see just one year later how leveraged long bets in trading companies and hedge funds and these lending books become real world jobs where people don't have them anymore. Uh, Just the negligence and the poor risk management really comes home to roost during these times with these stories, which is deeply unfortunate. But I'll throw it up to Zach. Get your thoughts. Hey,
2: Jen's here. Wow. We went from a three box to a four box. Jen. Ooh, Jen, so a Ray of light on this Surprise. wintry day. Jen, you get last word here. I'm throwing you into the mix and you have no idea what we just said previously on these lunar yeah, okay. layoffs. What do you got?
3: I don't, I don't think anyone has said this. So I've been in this really regenerative mindset lately. And so I'm just going to take it there. Yesterday on the show, we spoke about tribes. That was that wallet that's allowing people to, you know, co-manage assets and talk from within the wallet. And that was developed by a Coinbase engineer. And now granted, this was developed before we started seeing these really mass layoffs. But I hope that out of these layoffs, we see people from within the industry who have really experienced a lot of the pain points, a lot of the challenges who can come out of this as budding entrepreneurs. And so I'm looking at this through a positive light. I'm sure that you guys have covered, you know, all of the rest of the stuff that we need to cover. When we talk about layoffs, this is definitely an indicator of macro factors. I think it's definitely an indicator a looming recession, but I hope that we can see some awesome entrepreneurs solve these pain points because they have some time on their hands.
2: That was nice.
3: Thursday's top story.
1: Oh, we got a lot going on today in DC. We have to go to DC and we'll have a special guest on the show in a second to actually talk more in depth about the DC scene. But we have to catch up with Elizabeth Warren to begin the day. Elizabeth Warren is no friend of crypto and now she is praising basically the enemy of everyone in crypto. That would be SEC chairman Gary Gensler. Gary Gensler is not a beloved figure in most corners of crypto because he's clamped down on a lot of different projects. Most recently, the Genesis and Gemini feud is getting probed by the SEC for its alleged involvement as an unregistered security, which is not a great look. Uh, According to a new report this morning, Elizabeth Warren has been praising Gary Gensler, saying that he has been clamping down on the industry after the former Donald Trump presidency and administration really fueled crypto speculation. She's taking a victory lap after what happened with FTX as well. This is not uncommon to see from Elizabeth Warren. And many, many times at Capitol Hill hearings, she has said that she is no friend of crypto, seeing as sort of like an enemy to the US dollar, as well as just a lot of people trying to scam money out of ordinary Americans' pockets. Zach, I'm going to throw the story off to you to start the day. Again, this is not uncommon, but we don't love to see it either.
2: Yeah, fighting words. Quote, that's why the industry is scared of a strong SEC. And that's why it's spending millions of dollars each year lobbying to escape SEC oversight. So Liz Warren out here coming strong at the crypto industry with some longstanding reservations that she's had with the space. Some of them fair, right? I mean, FTX has gone to show itself as a big, old, massive cluster. And it's a really bad look for the crypto industry that the quote-unquote trusted voice of the crypto industry on Capitol Hill turned out to be an alleged fraudster. So the fact that this is happening is no surprise. I think the SEC hasn't especially done a great job at protecting consumers when it comes to crypto. They've picked their fights here and there. They've alleged things or securities here and there sort of peripherally to some other actions that they've taken. So the idea that the SEC is indeed a champion of protecting consumers against the ills of the crypto industry is a bit misguided, maybe misfounded, but it doesn't mean that Liz Warren is not going to use this as an opportunity to sound the alarm, but she sees as a space that's growing and potentially growing to the point where the contagion can spill over into the financial lives of normal non-crypto using people. We're not there yet, but obviously these little alarm bells are being raised. And in the wake of FTX, it certainly makes sense that you would hear stuff like this. Whether or not it's founded, the SEC is indeed the, the white knight here. I think that's the question and I'll toss it over to Adam on that note.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think that this comes back to what we always see from the political space, which is narrative versus reality. The narrative is that the SEC's role is to protect investors. The reality is, is that if they wanted to protect investors, they would have given us rules that would have been tailored to the technology rather than just trying to essentially use rules that they don't have to explain or justify to anybody because they were already passed for other purposes. That's kind of the crux of the rulemaking process. And the reason why it's been so irritating for those of us who've been in the industry for 10 years or more at this point To see these types of things is that yes, now that FTX has happened, uh, now that Genesis has you know shut down withdrawals and stuff like that, now the SEC is like, hey, there might be a problem here. We've noticed that you're doing something that could endanger customer funds. Well, again, to the extent that that's true, they had 17 months, you know, 20 months with that Gemini program, something like that, to actually indicate that hey, this is a problem that you need to deal with to create new rules, whole bunch of different things that could have been done. None of that stuff happened. What it really comes down to is that Bitcoin and cryptocurrency represents a threat to the U.S. dollar. It doesn't represent a threat in the short term. It represents an existential threat in the more medium term when the U.S. dollar inevitably has to restart its system because the way that things are going are not sustainable and they will not continue if history is any guide. So a lot more to say there, but we can wait for our guest on that. Jen, down to you.
3: Yeah, I agree with everything that everyone has said so far. Adam, to your point, Elizabeth Warren in this article praised enforcement actions against celebrities like Kim Kardashian and Coinbase for insider trading. I just imagined a world, imagine she was praising the SEC for actually having clear regulation that the industry could follow. And if people weren't compliant in a timely manner, we could praise the enforcement against those firms. Unfortunately, we're not there yet. Zach, I wanted to also respond to the quote you brought up, wouldn't you also be afraid if there was a person who said, come to my home, I have cake, I just want to talk to you. And then when you got there, they tied you up and said, you owe millions of dollars. I feel like that is a great analogy for what the SEC has done to some <laughs> firms in the space. And so I I don't blame people for being afraid of the SEC. They say one thing and then do another thing. Well,
1: yeah, I would push back on the fact that that was not a great metaphor. Uh, I didn't quite understand what you're doing with it. But I do think that we all agree on this panel that Elizabeth Warren is a little bit out there, and we don't quite understand her takes on crypto. And we have great panelists coming up in just a second talking about how like different sides of the aisle have taken different stances on crypto. Excited to get to that in a second. And I think this is a good time just to reflect on that. Uh, just Elizabeth Warren has been so anti-crypto, but that doesn't mean that all of her constituents are necessarily anti-crypto. Uh, There are a lot of Republicans on the other side of the aisle who are pro-crypto, but there's also some skeptics. And it seems to be sort of a divided line right now with Elizabeth Warren really being on one far extreme side. Zach, up to you.
2: I will say I understand the take because crypto has yet to demonstrate itself as having a value proposition to the more progressive wing of the US political class, right? For libertarians, for those right-leaning, there has always been the case that this makes sense. For those on the Left, this has not been compellingly portrayed in a way that is finding adherents and believers on the more left-leaning side of the political aisle. I think that's something that the crypto lobbying class is reckoning with and needs to reckon with a little bit more. There is a case for financial inclusion, for financial products that work for a vast swath of Americans, but that case really hasn't been made in a way that uh, doesn't come off as opportunistic grift. And I think that's probably the soul searching that might need to happen Uh, to the crypto lobbying class when they see stuff such as this.
0: You've been listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.